what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. It's the nighttime edition. That's right. We're on a kind of an alternating schedule here, Chris, of one recording at night, one recording more in the daytime. So this is the after hours episode in, right. a, in a way. I'm Alan. This is Chris across the table from me. It's not quite midnight. though. Oh, ah. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, no, we're about an hour off from the mid, the midnight hour, but what greater segue to talk about one of the films that we will be reviewing in the show. So good, good preview on that. Chris gold star for Chris on yeah, the podcast yeah. recording here. Uh, my name is Alan. This is Chris. This is foot candle films here on the mesh.tv. This is where we get together a couple times a month and we talk over films. We review a couple that we've seen recently, uh, normally some new films or ones that you can at least check out on demand if they've gone straight to video. And uh, we also sprinkle in some movie news and we always end up the show giving a recommendation of a film that is either something we've recently recently caught up with, one that we uh, revisited, one that maybe slipped under the radar for people and we want you to be aware of it. Um, so that's our show in a nutshell. And today's episode is going to be tried and true right on the format. We've got two movies we're going to be reviewing. The first one being the latest from actor or director and writer Jeff Nichols. Uh, it's called Midnight Special. And then we'll also be discussing uh, a film starring Mr. Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> um, and that is called Green Room, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, director, writer, Jeremy Salyonet. Is that I'm saying that right? Salyonet? No, Jeremy Saunier. Saunier? That works. Sure. So actually Spanish, two, two director-writer <laughs> combos that we're right. doing the film reviews for tonight. So that's kind of nice. So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and get into our first review, which is the film we just discussed, Jeff Nichols' director and writer of Midnight Special starring Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, Kirsten Dunst, and Adam Driver. What do you know about Alton Meyer? You would have fits. Things would break. Cars would shut down, that kind of thing. Others have described seeing things. Did he show you things? Yes. What kinds of things? I wouldn't know where to start. We need to know where he is. Midnight Special, the latest from director-writer Jeff Nichols, who had brought us such films as uh, Mud and Take Shelter and Shotgun Stories, which is one of the only ones of his I have not seen, by the way, just for the record. Uh, Starring Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, Kirsten Dunst, and Adam Driver. Uh, The description, the plot summary, pretty short and simple, although uh, leaves a lot open for interpretation. Father and son go on the run from uh, the government and actually from a uh, a cult-like church pursued by the government and a church in the cult drawn into the child's special powers. Uh, the idea is that this child does have some sort of special powers that we do learn to some degree throughout the film. And they're on the run from these two groups, both of them wanting the child for some different reasons. Uh, now, Chris, uh, Jeff Nichols, 
we've both been good fans of his other films. Sure. I, I personally really liked Mud. I thought Take Shelter was really good too. And I know you were you were fans of both of those films uh, as well. As well. Yeah. We were both very excited to get this film in and show it in our film screening. A because it is Jeff Nichols. B we like Michael Shannon as an actor. So anything he attaches to is going to have some level of interest. I think we've both have grown to really kind of like Adam driver. I think he's done some things to really impress us recently. Um, and the fact that this is Jeff Nichols sprinkling in some science fiction, a little bit of a Spielberg eighties feel to it, at least from the preview and the movie poster and the description of the plot, all that together sounds like a really, really good package. So my question to you is knowing that package was so, played up, put up on a pedestal. We were re- eagerly waiting to see this film. How did you walk away from it? Did you build your expectations up too much or did this match the expectations you came in with? You know, I'm, I'm surprised at how I walked away from this movie. I, you know, a lot of times you've heard so much about a movie, you know, this movie had been a long time coming. It was kind of delayed a little bit. I think it was delayed almost nine months, right? Yeah. which is, you know, usually like, Oh, it's a bad sign. Um, I liked this movie and I liked it a lot and I was kind of surprised how much I liked it because I went into it with very high expectations and a lot of times that's not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of the time, that's mm-hmm. not a good thing to do. Um, what surprised me is Jeff Nichols, his films are usually about families mm-hmm. or about just families, personal relationships. Shotgun Stories has a family at its center. Um, then you go to um, take shelter. Obviously it's a family there, a father, you know, trying to protect his family. Then mud is kind of a surrogate father situation. So, you know, this, like you talked about centers around a father and a son kind of, you know, and I think sci-fi was necessary to maybe make him step a little bit outside of his comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And he did, but he did it so gracefully that I can't wait to see, him do another movie because I, you know, he, he just seems capable of doing lots of different things. And he's at the early, kind of an earlier phase, or I guess mid phase, whatever of his career, but he's got a lot of, hopefully a lot of movies ahead of him. And what's also interesting to me is that, you know, Michael Shannon has been in all four of his movies. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's kind of a Wes Anderson or a PT Anderson thing where you kind of get somebody that you like working with. And you continue to develop them. Yeah. Um, seems to be the case with uh, Edgerton, too, because he's going to be, well, probably, you know, he's going to be in another movie. Well, Michael Shannon right. is in Loving as well. He's oh, got yeah, a supporting part. He okay. is a supporting role, either a, a lawyer or a judge or something. So he, had, I did see him in the trailer. So Loving is the next film that Jeff Nichols has coming out with Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega. And, uh, starting to make some good early Oscar buzz for that film as well. So, yeah. So it lived up to the expectations for me. I can talk about the reasons why Alan, what's your initial response? No, no, I, I did like this film as well. Um, I, I, I probably tempered my, my expectations going in Hmm. just because I think the more I thought about it, I'm like, wow, this film has been delayed a while. Loving his next film is starting to get a lot more attention. So it's almost like this one's just kind of an afterthought kind of movie. And I think me going into it thinking, yeah, it may, it's probably not going to be that great. And I came away really liking it. Actually, I try and I'm not going to go spoiler on this, but sure. I expected to come out with a lot more questions than I did. And I actually came out feeling like it was a fairly complete movie where I take a movie like take shelter, right? I love the way take shelter ended, but it's a very 
It's very It's ambiguous. a very open ending. Yeah. This film had every potential to be just as kind of confounding ending if they really wanted to. But I actually think at the end of the day, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty good buttoned up story. And it's a good movie at the end, end of the day. Okay. That being said, mm-hmm. this is one of his bigger casts. Yes. You know, as far as well, you know, the list of people that you read out, you know, Edgerton, Driver, mm-hmm. Dunst, Michael Shan, who's now a big name because he was in the Superman movie for better force. Um, <laughs> but so seeing that the ending is more kind of buttoned up, do you feel like that's a sellout? No, no. I, yeah. I, I think I think the intention was here to make something that was maybe a little more mainstream okay. than his other films had been. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think he sold out because he left enough interesting openness, vagueness, kind of he makes the audience do some work on their own, which I think is always a good sign of a filmmaker. Not spoon feed them what's going on. Let them kind of have to kind of piece it together as they go as well. So it it was an attempt to make a more mainstream film, but I don't feel like it was a sellout. So I'm actually okay with it. If anything, I, I think kind of stemming off what you were saying about his progression as a filmmaker. Yes, he did push push outside of his boundaries a little bit from his last three films, but he didn't go off into some 90 degree angle and say, I'm going to make a completely different film. Right. He made one of his films and he just added a layer to it that he hadn't done in his previous films. And, I think it was very successful. So I think it was, I think it was good. I mean, really, I like the film. I, my issues with it, and I'm sound like a broken record from the, the review we did of the phenom last episode hmm. is that there were so many elements of it and character subplots and all that. I like so much that I kind of wanted more from. And again, that's the most backhanded negative criticism I can give to a film. Hmm. Overall is saying I liked so many elements of it so much. I wanted more of them. Gotcha. The Adam driver character, I thought was really interesting. And I think I would have liked to seen more of a progression of his character. Cause I feel like he had the potential to be kind of developing in an interesting way as the story went. Didn't really go very far with him after about midway through the, the, the film. Um, I think the, the, the church, the ranch, they call it uh, was interesting. And actually when that, that subplot started early in the film, I was really fascinated by that. And it, it just kind of dissipated pretty quick. So there's just there's so many things I would have liked to explore more. But, I mean, it was an almost two-hour movie. Ultimately, it's about the family, and I get that. But it's just I did like those other elements, and it would have been nice to see them breathe a little bit more. Yeah, this film, for me, had just enough of the other elements, like trying to weave in the cult. Mm-hmm. Trying to weave in this you know NSA guy and Adam Driver trying to... You know, because he was kind of quirky. He added what, you know, it's serious film, but the humor that was in the film, he kind of brought to it. Yeah, he made, um, he gave some levity to some levity. situations. Yeah, And I got just enough of both of those doses because I feel like what I came away with, which is what you're saying, it's about family. And to mm-hmm. me, it's about family because, you know, there's the, the father, son, and then the, the mother as well. But it's also about doing what's best for your child, mm-hmm. which can be letting go. Yep. And uh, without getting any more <laughs> yeah. spoiler territory. But, you know, I think I thought that was really cool. And it's like I think if they'd have had had some more of the elements, like you're saying, of the cult or something, it would have been too preachy. I will say the Adam Driver character, I did enjoy him. And I thought he was just enough because in a way 
this movie to me also references tons of other sci-fi movies. Close Encounters being oh. the most obvious. Oh, Close Encounters. There were so many references to and that film. And in Close Encounters, I remember Francois Truffaut plays like an advisor or something. Mm-hmm. But he's in there to me what seems like very little. Granted, it's been a while since mm-hmm. I've seen it. But this was like, I felt like the Adam Driver character, even though he's like NSA, it was kind of like he was filling that role of trying to explain stuff or something. A little bit. And well, you know, Francis Trofo's character also had kind of a sidekick with him who was a little more of a kind of a, a little bit more of a nerdy character, kind of broad. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's who I thought Adam Driver okay. kind of had a little bit mirror. more relation to with. It's kind of a little fish out of water, kind of brought into a fantastical situation. Be a little more astounded by it a little more wide-eyed about it so hmm. i got a little bit of that from his character and i felt but i felt like it was just i felt like it was just enough okay well um i, I wouldn't have minded more but again I, I i wouldn't want it to take away from what was really the heart of the film with the family side of things um i thought acting wise it was really good i mean i don't i, I michael shannon was playing a very similar to the role he played in Take Shelter. I thought sure. the character was very, very similar. Quiet, uh, soft-spoken. Just he has his moments where just the emotion gets gets the most of him. Um, Kirsten Dunst was probably the one I was the most impressed with because I thought she was really good in this. And I'm not generally a big fan of of her work, um, but I thought she was really good. I mean, she it was a very understated role she got to play as well. A lot of crying, a lot of worried looks, but she pulled it off really well. So I, f- I felt like I guess one of the reasons. I felt like it was a very well-balanced movie as far as the characters. You're right. Like, you would have liked more Adam Driver, but it was like everybody was kind of playing on an even playing field. Nobody was really chewing scenery. I mean, you True. would think yeah. the kid who's going to have these special powers, like, he's going to kind of be the central focus of it. But because it was about the family, because it was about relationships, it really kind of – and even Lucas, who kind of is helping the family, he be kind of – becomes a family member as well. You mm-hmm. know, I think giving everybody a little bit of time, it became kind of a supporting cast movie. Yeah. And so everybody was kind of on even, even it was a little more of ensemble. It was, it was a good, on, yeah. yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. yeah, ensemble. So I really um, like that. You know, I'm a big fan of any movie where I don't know where it's going to go, you know, and, and this definitely fits in that category. I mean, I had no clue 10 minutes in, I couldn't have told you where in the world this plot was going to go. And that's always nice for me is not to be able to, immediately say oh i know that i know the the beats we're going to hit on the story on the way this one was surprising this one um ended in a way in hindsight the way it was naturally meant to end but it's not a way i could have predicted uh the first hour into the movie either so um I, i did i really liked it i thought it was really good i think um I think my only criticism, other than that backhanded one of just maybe not having enough of certain characters or sure. certain subplots, having seen the film Tomorrowland about a year ago, and if you recall, Chris, I actually had that on my year-end review episode as my l- most disappointing film of the year. Right. Uh, because it was Brad Bird directing and writing, which I really like his stuff in general. George Clooney, I think, you know, always picks out good material. J.J. Abrams had something to do. I think he did, and then the Disney thing and all that, too. Mm-hmm. It was just, it looked like a really good movie on paper, and I hated it. I mean, I just <laughs> really was disappointed with that film. Sure. You mentioned Close Encounters. I'm thinking of John Carpenter's Starman. Mm. Several other films that I know there's heavy influences on this. And, you know, I don't really think much about those influences until the closing scenes and the last major scene 
of the film, there's there's so many not only visual but the way action transpires that I found myself pulled out of the movie for a little bit, saying, "Interesting, okay, wait a minute, that looks just like." the Tomorrowland and the way these people are moving is just like this other movie I'm thinking of. And it was almost a little too much in that compressed time where it just way too many influences kind of started popping out. And I just felt myself coming out of the movie a little bit just in that. I thought it was a well done scene. Okay. It's just, again, it's the, it's the argument of, are, are you performing an homage to these films or are you borrowing elements from these films? And I think this movie, in my opinion, in those last 10 minutes, might have gone a little too heavy in the borrowing elements from these other films as opposed to just acknowledging them as other films. Does that make sense to you? Totally makes sense. I disagree. Okay. I, I, can, see, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm without getting into major spoiler right. territory. I can't really. It's tough. But uh, I, just, I just felt like some, some references were a little on the nose. Just a little bit. Now, granted, it did not make me not like the movie. I liked the movie a lot. And sure. I do like the ending scenes. I like the way it went, the, where, the location it went to at the end of the, of the movie. It's just, uh, and looking at it and watching some of those scenes, it's just I did find myself saying, yeah, that looks just like this. And this is happening just like this. And this scene is just like this one. So there's like three or four really implicit references to me in that, that last 10 minutes that I thought might've been just a little too on the nose. Hmm. So yeah, okay. that, that's my criticism. I mean, sure. really that's it. I, uh, otherwise that was great. Um, I like the fact that this film never spells out everything for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the end of the film, you've gotten all the information you need to put the story together, but it's never sat down somebody giving you all the exposition, which I kept waiting for that scene. And there was one scene at one point in a hotel room where the young boy, uh, is Aiden Alden uh, Alton starts to describe what may be going on. And I'm saying to myself, Oh, please don't go too far with this. Mm-hmm. Just, just give us enough. And that's exactly what they did. He gave like two sentences and everybody kind of acknowledged, everybody responded, and it kept moving on. I'm like, good, don't I, don't spoon feed us anything more than that. Yeah, and I think that yeah, obviously that comes back to Jeff Nichols. He's a writer and he's a director, and he wants to make a family picture, or not family picture, but something about family, but he wants to change it a little bit of science fiction, but he's not gonna overdo it. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna get overly geeky or overly nerdy and take it off out of the realm of reality and turn into a comic book movie, right. which it's not. Um, yeah, I, I, I admired the explanation, the explanation scene. Um, there's another moment that he does there again, Adam driver, mm-hmm. um, where he is going to be handcuffed mm-hmm. and he, for appearances, he also has to be hit in the face. Yes. Um, and that just, and the way that was handled, it was just like, it was such a great moment. And it's mm-hmm. little things like, I feel like Jeff Nichols inserts in there that just really, I don't know, they just really, they really make it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're both in agreement. Really good film. Um, I'm not going to say it's a perfect film because I, I do feel like there's just a couple places it, it could have done a little more or not referenced other films as much as it, I felt like it did. Hmm. But outside of that, that was a really good movie and really enjoyed it. So it sounds like you're completely still too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely, 
It's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. Just like I just built. I was gonna say you just built up the phenom last episode. I did, guys. If you want to hear Chris gush about a movie, go uh, listen to the review of the phenom. List be very, uh, very non surprising because yeah, when I like a movie, that's the thing. When I like a movie, I really like it. Yeah, of course, I did say that about Now You See Me at one point too. Ooh, okay, we don't need to get back into that no. that ring again. So Midnight Special, uh, writer-director Jeff Nichols, his fourth feature film. We're both big fans of all of his work up to this point. I still like Mud a little bit better, but it's just because Mud, for whatever reason, just really connected with me. But I did like this a little bit better than Take Shelter, which I really like Take Shelter. Well, you know, before I forget, I want to mention, because we're kind of wrapping up, but I wanted to mention two other things that you and I talked about off air. One's the music. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of mm-hmm. the film. Which, you know, you were you off air there again saying that Ben Nichols, I think you know, mm-hmm. Nichols' brother, does a lot with the music. And I really liked kind of, you know, it's just kind of this thudding mm-hmm. score, a driving score that kept it intense in many oh, yeah. parts. Um, really liked it. Didn't think it was overdone. I really appreciated that. The other that I wanted to touch on was in a more Hollywood movie, I think they would have amped up. They could have amped up some moments of violence and made this rated R. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And Jeff Nichols' way of there are things that happen with gunplay. Just I, I just felt like he was very sensitive. It's like I could show this, but I'm not going to show it. I'm going to cut away. And it's not mm-hmm. because I'm chickening out. It's just because that's not what kind of movie this is. Yeah, that's not the point of this movie. And I feel like a lot of times filmmakers can suffer from that. Actually, if they're making a family movie, they make it PG. If they're making an adult movie, they make it R. But this straddled the line of being PG-13, and I don't think the movie suffered because it was saddled with that. I thought, you know, I thought it really did a good job of just telling the story and not, I don't know, it was just very, there again, kind of balanced like the cast was. I thought it yeah. was, showed just enough to make it effective, but it, I don't know, it just really, I really admired the way, I guess, there's a police with everything that's been in the news lately. Mm-hmm. There's a police officer that shot pretty early in yeah, this film. in Texas, which in I thought Texas. was... Tough watching after, Tough at watching. this time. And it happens. You're just like, oh, man. You know, like, but things things come to light and it's okay. And it's just yeah. like, it's kind of sound like I can trust Jeff, Jeff Nichols. Yeah. He's not going to, you know, and you know, the movie's sentimental in some ways too, but it's just, I feel I can trust him. He's like yeah. a director I can trust and just let go and let the movie take its course. And, you know, especially with violence, sometimes you're afraid, like, what, what path is this going to get down? Is it going to be a Tarantino bloodbath mm-hmm. or is it going to be... But he's just very judicious in what he shows and how he does things. I just really appreciated that. Well, what I think is interesting, looking back at his filmography so far, four films, three of them are a PG-13. Ah. Which you take a young, up-and-coming, independent, more small-budget, dramatic filmmaker – I don't think that's pretty. I don't think that's common. I mean, I, I, I had no idea that that was. Take so, Shelter is the only one that's rated R, and I think the only reason it's rated R is I think there's a couple of scenes where Michael Shannon's character is kind of going a little livid, and yeah. I'm sure maybe drops a few words that that pushed it into the rated R that's side of things. That's but otherwise, they're actually. I almost brought my my middle kid to come see the film tonight because I think sure. he he could have watched it. It would have been okay. Right. It's nice to see some independent filmmakers with lower budget films making something that's actually a little more accessible yeah. and not trying to go just completely, let me go over the top violence or over the top language or whatever. So that was refreshing. I, I agree with you on that. That was nice. And I do think it's a level of restraint. I think it's a, he wants movies that seem to be a little more accessible 
and aren't just going to immediately turn people off, you know? Um, why do you think, why do you think this movie didn't find an audience? I think it didn't find an audience because a, it, it, um, it, it didn't Sounds like you and I are encouraging people to seek it out. No, yeah, we are. It is available on iTunes. It's a quiet movie. Huh. It's a slower movie. And even though, yes, there's some car chases and yes, there's some gunplay. It's very few and far between, you know, you go a long stretch of this movie with a lot of talking and a lot of slow movements. And I like that, but sure. the typical box office going uh, multiplexes don't. So I think you take a director that's still kind of finding his way into mainstream work, not a, a list of actors, you know, that are just going to be box office draws for anybody. And you take a, a, a slower, more thought provoking film that didn't have the most satisfying ending for a lot of people. You know, it's just not, not everything is buttoned up and it's not all happy smiles at the end. I mean, it's, it's a movie you got to think about and I hate to say it, but I just, unfortunately movies you got to think too hard about aren't going to go many places in the, sure. uh, in Hollywood these days. So I think that's why it was. There was something that you mentioned, and I just want to second that, but also say you talked about the scene where um, the kid starts explaining his powers mm-hmm. and then Jeff Nichols had to move on, which I yep. think was the excellent thing of writing. There's, and I mentioned one other, but there's one that specifically called to mind that I wanted to mention is um, they are talking about where they're going and there's also a character who's like, you know, they've come to this one house. It's a refuge. And the person who owns the house is like, hey, I want to talk to you about it. I think I figured out what's going on here. Let me let me talk to you about it. And and the dad's like, you know what? I'm tired. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really want to talk about this right now. And it was like the way of saying like, oh, okay, I could just go and explain to you exactly what this movie's about, exactly what the powers uh, are, what's point. happening. I forgot and about that scene. And the dad's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't, yeah. I don't want to do this right now. Well, <laughs> so, I, didn't, I completely forgot like, about that line thing. dialogue. It's like, you know, it gives you just enough to keep you interested. But you, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think mass populace isn't interested in sharing the load of a movie. Yeah. They'd rather just somebody tell them stuff, you know, cause they're like, Oh, it's entertainment. I don't want to think, which I can get that. But I, especially with Jeff Nichols, I enjoy sharing the load and just letting myself fill in certain, yeah. certain pieces, you know? Well, I, I think it's a very good movie. We're both recommending that you check it out. It is available on Amazon and iTunes and everywhere else now. So it has gone through its theatrical run. So it's available to check it out online. And, uh, both of us are saying that, yes, you should, Absolutely. Go do that. So good. Let's move on to our second review, which is, uh, uh, I refer to him as uh, John Luke Picard, but of course we're talking about Patrick Stewart, the, <laughs> the gentleman who plays John Luke Picard, professor X, professor X. Yeah. Let's just not really yeah, talk. Not quite say Patrick Stewart. We'll just um, keep referring to yeah, all the characters he all plays, the characters he's um, but he gets to play a very interesting character in our next film, which is the, uh, Gosh, thriller, violence-ridden film, Green Room. There's been a stabbing! Stop! In the room. Go! Cops are on the way. We haven't done anything! Doesn't matter. We sit and we wait. And we die. Not if you sit and you wait. Where are the police? They've come and gone. Got a little complicated gentlemen it won't end well green room is the follow-up to blue ruin which was jeremy sonier's first bigger film so we're waiting for the 
read something read to something. be the next in the trilogy, right? right? So, RGB. Yeah. Yep. But this one, as with uh, the first movie we talked about, has a pretty simple synopsis. Uh, a band witnesses, a punk rock band witnesses a murder and in a small club, and then they're forced to kind of fight for survival against a group of skinheads. Yes, in <laughs> that, a compound, yes. more or less, yeah, out in the really middle of the wilderness. Like but compound, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 the sum of the movie. The green room in general is where the band ends up being kind of cornered. Alan, we discussed Blue Ruin a while ago. You and mm-hmm. I both liked it. You liked it more than I did. I did appreciate it. Okay. Okay. I'm not gonna say I liked it. It it was a tough movie. It you know it was a grueling movie. I I remember that. And I liked the the lead performance. I thought it was a well made film. Okay. Um, it didn't make any of my best of list or anything, but uh, that was a good film. Okay, so with Green Room, you we just we also reviewed Sing Street recently. You <laughs> yes. like uh, movies with music? So <laughs> yeah, this movie has some music in it. There is so, music in this movie. <laughs> what was your What was your take on uh, one Green Room? Um, I will say this. Uh, first off, just for the record, uh, it's probably one of the most grueling movies I've watched in a while. I mean, this is. Coming off of Son of Saul, not too long ago. Yeah, this one, this one was, this one was tough to watch. I, I love thrillers. I love, I love movies that take place like in a confined space, and characters are having to think their way out. I will give it this: this film, I thought, captured the horror of a group in that type of situation, trapped in a room, thinking through options, having to figure out. But yet, at the same time, they're also all freaking out and panicking. Yeah, yeah. this is not a cool-headed. Scooby-Doo group saying, okay, let's come up with a plan and here's what we're going to do. I mean, everybody's... And things go wrong. Things go wrong every which way and right. everybody's freaking out and there's for no the, reliable... Things go wrong for the good guys in the sense the band yeah. and for the bad guys, the Nazi skinheads, like stuff's yeah. going wrong. It's definitely not a very cut and dry situation yeah. on either side. I admired all that, the mechanics of just putting this all together. It was a tough watch for me and I appreciate the film. Did I enjoy it? Um, enjoyment's not the word for it. I liked the first half of the movie because I think the way they set up the situation and the building up this really, really difficult situation they found themselves in mm-hmm. and realizing there's very few options to go through. Towards the end, it started to turn more into a, okay, I'm hiding from this person and this person's hunting me down and I have to hide and how to retaliate and we got to come up with a plan to fight back. It, it, it lost a little bit of the uh, enjoyment for me at that point because it just turned into kind of more of a cat and mouse uh, scene, which I think is very common to a lot of thriller movies you see. Sure. I, I enjoyed more the setup of the situation and the dynamics within the group trying to deal with the situation. Once that group started breaking up, hmm. it became a little less interesting to me. Okay. So I, I'm overall saying it was an interesting film and I think it's worth checking out. Um, I didn't overly enjoy it, um, but it's also probably because it just it was really violent it's and extremely violent, yeah. uh, gruesome and just really tough to watch. But um, but I, I I thought everybody played their part really well, mm-hmm. and I will say um, there is a there is a, about a ten minute sequence, about a third or half maybe a third about a halfway through the movie. Um, where the two factions are having to communicate through a door mm-hmm. that to me 
that was awesome. I wanted that to be More most of the film. I see. So up to that point, I was really with it. And then it just turned into more of a traditional thriller for me, which a violent thriller. And I lost a little interest. So I, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts there. I have no idea what you thought about this film. Um, the violence in this film is troubling and mm-hmm. troubling just because, you know, it's very graphic. Um, but I, 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 I liked this film and I think okay. I liked it more than you. Okay. Um, something about the way the director stages things and, yeah, we've seen other thrillers before, but something about, I think, the careful way in which he set up stuff in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I will agree once once the gig is up and um, the parties start actively kind of fighting with each other, and then um, they break up for like, yeah. a better way to say yeah, it. Yeah, that's um, the way to say it. Um, some people die. Um, yeah, right. Then, what, then, yeah, it gets more traditional, but... Um, Mm-hmm. There's certain, for instance, one of the things that I can think about, which I don't remember being in Blue Ruin, um, but in the, there were three that I can recall. There were three instances in Green Room where it was shots that were very beautiful cinematography wise. And the music, which is interesting because this has a lot of punk rock, like loud metal music, but it was just this kind of melodic you know, soundtrack music, mm-hmm. no words. Mm-hmm. And they were usually involved driving. There were two yeah. instances of driving where they did that. And it showed bonding with the band. You kind of got to feel like you knew who the band members were and you kind of got a mm-hmm. sense of their personalities, two instances of that. And then there was a final instance in the club where they were, the band was on stage playing for these Nazi skinheads. Mm-hmm. And it's this really angry music. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, whatever, whatever. Actually, they play one song and get a very negative reaction from the <laughs> crowd, which is actually the funny thing is they play a song that's basically like skinheads or idiots, basically yeah. is essentially the gist of the, the song. The crowd didn't seem to appreciate oh, that one no too one much. Really yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But then they start a song that's a little bit more traditional, like yeah. loud, headbanging type stuff. And the way they then like cut right in beat to like slow motion of the crowd. Yeah, that like was a good moment or whatever. And I was it like, was slow motion, really close up shots of the crowd dancing and uh, uh, hitting up against each other and all, but to the music, but it was done in a very kind of just nice, pleasant, more softer music. So nice dichotomy right. to go from this just blaring rock and then you're still seeing the people respond to that music but you're hearing it accompanied with something very opposite and it was a nice it was a nice scene i agree with you on that and even though even though there was it was it was grueling just because you have this sense of dread mm-hmm. from the moment the green room situation starts up where they're kind of in that room and they're having to negotiate through the door you kind of have a feeling this just isn't going to end up good yeah right um but I don't know something about some of the uniqueness of the situations. And I just, I really, I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of Mr. Sonnier. I can't yeah. like, kind of like with Nichols. I can't, I think they're some of the two best uh, directors around and I, I can't wait to see. And there again, he writes and directs his own stuff too. Yeah. So, well, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. The thing, the, the thing about this and comparing it to blue ruin as well. I mean, he's got a good way of writing very, realistic situations, people finding themselves in very horrific situations, Mm -hmm. but also reacting and acting in a very natural way. That's the thing, you know, both sides, not in this movie. It wasn't, I mean, even the skinhead group, 
really had their own issues and they were trying to figure out what to do. They were having problems. Things didn't go right. I think that's the thing. Like you said, you know, we've all seen thrillers before, but to me, that's what kept this in the realm of uniqueness is that it didn't seem like either side really had it together. Yeah. There were people that were in a bad situation and it kept getting worse and neither, neither side saw a good resolution. Mm -hmm. And that's what was interesting is that even though obviously the skinheads are the bad guys, you did feel sympathetic for some of them that were just kind of like, what am I doing here? This is mm-hmm. the situation is getting way out of control. Yep, right. And so, yeah, I think that's what kept, that's what kept me interested instead of just tuning out and being like, Oh, this is just a general thriller. And all yeah. they're out is, you know, mm-hmm. body counts or whatever. Well, let's talk about some of the acting sure. two, two performances in particular. I want to talk about one just because of the timeliness of it. You know, we, we talked about in the last episode about Anton Yelchin right. dying, very tragically young actor. This is one of his, he's got several films that he had finished shooting by the time he had died. This was one of them that had was released right before he died. So this had come out and gotten a theatrical release beforehand. Um, he's the kind of reluctant uh, appointed leader of the band at, at the point. Um, how did, how did, how did Mr. Yelchin do in one of his last roles you know, there? That's, I, you know, I've, I'd seen him in Charlie Bartlett. I'd seen him in the Star Trek movies. Yeah. Um, this I feel like this was the best thing I've seen him in, hmm. and I really liked him. I thought he showed a lot of I don't know something not range necessarily, but he was just an interesting character that he's he's kind of like a punk poser. He's made mm. to be the spokesman of the band at one yeah. point to negotiate through the door. He doesn't really want to, and then because of the situation, he ends up having to arm himself and steal himself and do some things. And yeah. you know, I just. I don't know. I, and the realness of it to me of, you know, what could you hope you could do in that situation? What could you just kind of steal yourself to do? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I responded to. So sad, you know, of course, terrible to see any actor go, but just terrible to think about how someone who is still, who is still rising. Right. And he at was that rel- time. relatively yeah, young. That's and tough. So much stuff ahead of him. Yeah. So. I thought he was good too. I, I did think it was a good role. And then we had Patrick Stewart yes. playing uh, Darcy. The, right. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we say the leader, he is the boss. He He is is the boss. He owns the compound. You get the impression. Everybody looks to him as kind of the ultimate. uh, We don't really know much about his belief system. We don't really know if he's true. Yeah. I'll, and I'm fine with that. I didn't need to know too much detail. It's just you knew. You don't know by if the he's way, using Nazism just as a cover, right? Because that's how he can control these people. Because he's a businessman, right. and he's like you know in, in the drug business, and he's right. he's got to surround himself with people who's willing to do what he wants them to do. You don't know really what his old intentions are and background are, but the minute he walks on the screen, the minute he makes even his name is mentioned, it's very much you you can feel the presence he's got there. And I thought this was just a really fun role for him. It's very different very than different, anything right. I've ever seen Patrick Stewart do. And he does great with it. Now, again, I... And the fact how, yeah, I think someone like Patrick Stewart chewing scenery by being quiet. And he's very... Um, his character, you know, just is under control. He loses it at one point. Yeah. But then he gets it back and he's always like very calculating and just mm. very methodical and you could think that that could be just like a really loud showy role but he just he's menacing by just being quiet <laughs> yeah but honestly i and going back to the scene my favorite scene in the movie is them negotiating and trying to figure out what they're going to do next steps 
from through a door. Mm-hmm. So we got the band inside the the green room. We've got he him and his his minions outside the hallway. Right. And even just the soft nature in which that dialogue is spoken by him, it's so menacing and mm-hmm. so calculated. And I could have watched. I I would have been perfectly fine if his entire role was from behind a door, uh-huh. just speaking like okay. that to us. So, um, actually, when he's not really that present in the film for a a, a, a decent stretch during the more actiony thriller parts that sure. I kind of lost some interest in, I, I didn't find the movie as interesting because it's like I kind of want to know more about what what's Darcy doing right now, <laughs> you know, type of thing. <laughs> and uh, so he was a really fascinating character that. I wish we had a little more of and a little more impact in the way the film ended up. Um, he was most impactful at the midpoint of the movie. And when he made an impact, it was really, really big and powerful, but um, it was a fun role. I was, I was happy to see Patrick Stewart do something like this. It was, it was very, not a, not a huge showy role, but just to play a menacing part like that and to have it so much control through your voice and your mannerisms. It was great. I've talked a little bit about how we've talked about the actors talked about how I appreciated the director using those sequences where he did kind of the montages with the music. Um, he also, there again, you can tell he's a writer as well as the director because he had two different through lines that kind of went through the movie and played one is comedic and the other, one, you know, just played some interesting roles. One is a story about paintball. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, which I like how that, you know, came mm-hmm. around and then um, naming your Desert Island band. Mm-hmm. I like how that came around and makes for a really good closing shot. Well, I was or actually going to say. Like, you know, exchange, last yeah. dialogue of the movie, and then that's the end. Well, that's, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I was going to say with Blue Ruin, his first movie, I don't remember dialogue being a big factor at all. I mean, that's true. It's really not. It was not a physicality. Exactly. Odd things happening that were funny, but in a kind of a shocking, I don't remember anything dialogue wise in blue ruin. Right. This movie, I did think there were two or three scenes of really well done dialogue. Cause you're right. When, uh, the Anton Yelchin character, they're kind of in a, a tough spot and he's giving a story. That's a little, maybe loss of blood induced. I'll say at that point, I mean, he's obviously kind of a little loopy at the point. He just kind of goes on a story and he gets interrupted halfway through the story. And you think, well, I'm never going to hear the rest of that story. And it does kind of circle around at some point, which was nice. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I love the last line of dialogue in this film. It just actually those, those two moments made me think, okay, so this guy not only is a good director of, you know, physicality and violence and kind of action happening with characters, but he's got some dialogue chops too. And that was, that was nice to see. So, yeah. I mean, again, I, I appreciate the film. I, I thought it was a good film. Uh, it's not always my cup of tea, you know, I guess you could say and that, that probably skewed my opinion a little bit. Sure. Um, and I just, I wish, I wish the second half was as strong as the first half. That's, I will say too, on the side note, it's a it's a difficult movie to follow even despite the fact that the plot is so simple it's the, the there's a lot of relationships between characters and i think it it probably hurts the fact that being at a skinhead compound a lot of people kind of look the same you know and uh well, sound the same and act the same it's a darker darker film yeah. but there are a lot of relationships that are mentioned and discussed in conversation that i had a hard time figuring out who they were referring to. Sure. And 
it's it was a little tough to follow. And I'm not saying that that necessarily hurt my enjoyment of the film. It's just I kind of wanted to go back and and figure out some of these these connected lines between characters. And I'm wondering if that might have improved my 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 likeness of them, my enjoyment. I'm going to be a little bit of a a Sonia apologist Mm, (laughs) and say that I was a little confused, too, at some points. Um, I tried to justify it by thinking that I was kind of like one of the band members trapped in the room and that I didn't understand what was going on and Mm. I didn't get a whole lot. But I, I can get that maybe it just wasn't maybe it just wasn't written really well, or maybe yeah. they it was too fuzzy when it shouldn't have been. It's hard to um, say. But yeah, I that can. was that was a couple of points I had. But overall, I will say, if you can stomach it, <laughs> it's a it's a decent movie to watch. Um, it's just be forewarned, not for the kiddies. Oh no. Um, and again, probably one of the most vicious rated R movies I've seen in a while. So just really wincing in pain to watch it at, at moments. So yeah, okay. very difficult. Okay. So that's green room. That is also available on Amazon and iTunes and everywhere online as well as at the time of this recording. So both of the two reviews we just gave are films. You could go right now. Don't shut off this episode yet. <laughs> Wait till the end. We got maybe 20 more minutes or so get to the end. Right. Then yes, turn it off, put your phone away, cue up the movie and you can pick which one. If you're in a mood for a little more of a, Thought-provoking family drama with some interesting elements to it. Yeah, you got Midnight Special. You want to see some... Yeah, the hard R that I was talking yeah, about? That would be does it. You want to see some people getting beat up and hurt pretty bad and <laughs> in a small room, then you got Green Room. So definitely some, a couple choices there for you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will hit some movie news. I believe we have two or three items that we're going to chew on and, and discuss a little bit. And then we will end up the show with our recommendations of the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like where they the worked old, at the country club yes, yes. you know when the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and uh-huh. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh <laughs> yeah 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 so it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard <laughs> I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Alan and Chris here. We just finished our reviews of Midnight Special and Green Room. Now we're going to move into some movie news. But before we do, just a couple quick reminders for you. You are listening to this podcast, this fine audio program on a network we call The Mesh. So TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. You can go and listen to all of the episodes we've ever put out 
as, lo- as well as episodes of other shows on the Mesh Network. So let's say you like a business and you're a business person. We got two or three business podcasts. Uh, you want to hear some gossipy uh, celebrity talk and just be chick chat. That would be chick chat. Very good, Chris. Um, we've actually got a sports show that uh, comes out a couple times a week, you know, kind of recapping the latest uh, news in the sporting world. One so, more thing. One more thing. Yes. That's right. So you are a good avid listener, Chris. Gold star for you. Uh, these are all shows available for free, meaning that you can go to the website, click a button, and you're listening to these episodes right there on your computer. Or, or even better, you have one of those, uh, what do you call them? Phones, iPhones, right. those little phones Smart you walk around, phones. the things you use to play Pokemon Go with. Is that <laughs> that's, that's the thing we're talking yeah. about? That's why you buy it. That's why you buy it. Just to play it just as a bonus, you can also do other stuff with it, right. like download them to your phone of choice, which means you can carry them with you as you jog, as you run, as you hunt Pokemon, uh, <laughs> as you are uh, exercising, whatever it may be. The key here, guys, is that when you go to iTunes, the podcast store, or you go to wherever you can get your podcast uh, through uh, Google, Android, other services, you want to find a button that says subscribe. Subscribing to our show means that every time we put out a new episode, it's going to be delivered to you. Just like uh, like it used to be in the old days when the milkman would deliver milk to your doorstep. You didn't have to go to the store and find milk and choose which one had the best expiration date. The milk was just there at your doorstep waiting for you when you needed it. I'm going to one-up you with another obsolete reference, okay. but a little bit newer than that. Okay. When your you're like subscription to like Rolling Stone or Entertainment Weekly right. used to come in the mail, you know, you may still do that, but you're like, what are magazines? You know, yeah, like, that's true. Right, yes. Everything's online. Magazines were so, these pieces of paper that like had pictures and stories. you would have to go to stories. the store and continuously buy Entertainment Weekly or Rolling Stone? That's a good point. It. it just comes to your mailbox. Well, this will just come to your phone or your device. It's even closer. And when you go to your mailbox, you still got to walk out the driveway true. and open the mailbox, get it out, bring it in. Here, your phone's in your pocket. You pull it out. You're like, hey, wait a minute. I got a new episode right here to listen to. I, while I'm doing Pokemon Go, I just <laughs> listen to it. That's right. It's obvious probably in your hand because you're constantly doing Pokemon Go. We are so. we are one week into the Pokemon Go phenomenon, so yeah. Chris and I are a little a little burnt on it right now already. I mean, so. what are we going to do? Just call a national holiday for like a month so everybody can Pokemon Go? Okay, anything that gets, uh, what's the word I heard? Anything that gets the nerds out of the basement. It's all good. <laughs> um, okay, so I think we've talked about that enough. So subscribe to the show. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you and check out the other shows on the Mesh Network. Okay, Chris, yes. movie news time. Yes. Uh, let's talk about a few items that we've got that we think are of interest uh, in the movie world. Okay. Well, you want to go first. You sure. got an item for us. So, you know, talked about two directors this episode already that I'm kind of big on, Jeff Nichols, Jamie Sonnier. Well, Alex Garland, he gave us Ex Machina. Ex Machina, okay. So, you know, writer and director of that film, he has just finished principal, well, not he alone, obviously he had a crew, um, <laughs> but finished principal photography on his next film. Okay. It's called Annihilation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be coming out in 2017. They haven't really set a firm date yet. It's based on a novel of the same name. It's an environmental thriller that stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Tessa Thompson. She was the love interest in Creed. Oh, right. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, she was really good. Um, It's a team of scientists that is sent into Area X. I don't know what Area X is, but it's a mysterious, hazardous wilderness that apparently people go into and very few ever come back out of. So I guess they're sent there to explore it. Um, there are pictures out online that show a lot of like 
says and just some of the areas, the locations that have been to, and they are gorgeous. Just like mm. you remember Ex Machina, some of that was very gorgeous and mm-hmm. stuff. So, you know, if that movie didn't make me enough excited about it, just seeing the shots that have come out for Annihilation sometime in 2017, we're going to get to see it. I can't wait. Well, now, so Alex Garland is primarily been known as a writer. He's only directed one film. Right, and that was Ex, Ex Machina. Machina. That he also wrote, of yeah, course. Yeah, I think he was previously, he and Danny Boyle did stuff together. I think that's who Alex Yeah, did. I think he wrote 28 Days Later. Okay. Uh, he wrote Sunshine. Okay. Which I like. Um, oh, he wrote Never Let Me Go. Oh, see, that's a movie I really which liked, too. adapted from a novel. Yeah. That was a novel, and he adapted into Never Let Me Go, so. Yeah. Then, of course, he wrote Ex Machina. Right. Um Annihilation is now coming up as well. Halo. He's actually attached as a writer for a movie about Halo. And I don't know if that's the video game Halo or. Yep, it is. It's feature film based on the popular video game. Well, you know, if he's doing it, that's the one reason I'm interested in it. But I also said that about Warcraft with Duncan Jones. Although, disclaimer, haven't seen Warcraft yet. And I will still see it just because Duncan Jones, the director, made it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, you know, that's that's the one thing that could make me go see a Halo movie is the fact Alex Garland's doing it. Yeah, could so. be. Well, I'm interested. I I, I liked Ex Machina. Uh, I thought it was maybe a little overrated for the year. I know you loved oh, it. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I liked it. I... It's my weak I wasn't, spot. I wasn't over the moon for it. It's so. my weak spot yeah. in science fiction. Yeah, Prometheus, yeah. Midnight Special, you know. Annihilation wow. will probably be my number one movie of 2017. Probably said, so. go ahead and write it down now. You That's don't even need to go see it. No. Just go ahead and put it on your it. best of the year list <laughs> right away. Um, okay, so while we're talking about writer-directors that we've been following for some time, let's, let's, let's take one that we've been following for a much, much longer period of time. Okay. Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yes. Um, so uh, Mr. Tarantino has a habit of making a lot of comments about things he's going to do or not going to do in his career. He was the one that very, very uh, adamantly said he was not going to make the Hateful Eight right. because that script leaked online. Right. Got really mad. and was like, He just Fine. said, I'm not going to do it. Right. Well, he did it. <laughs> uh, I think he actually even said at one point that he was going to stop making films at one point, And he didn't really stop. I mean, he right. kept doing them. Sure. Well, he's made the proclamation now. He's 53 years old, okay. by the way, now. He made the proclamation the other day that he is going to make a total of 10 films. Mm-hmm. His whole vision is... The Hateful Eight, was it cleverly the eighth film? Yes, uh, of course okay. it was. Okay. He wants to make 10 films. That's his whole thing. He wants a, he wants an over of 10 that he can look back on. He's very... Quentin Tarantino, anybody else saying this, I'd be like, okay, yeah, 10, whatever. Quentin Tarantino, no. If he says he wants to do 10, there's a very specific reason in his head he wants to have 10 films. Right. Okay. His favorite bookshelf only has room for 10 Exactly. Spots, so it's like, that's how many... He, uh, he, he, we don't know anything about number nine or 10. But here's the way... You tell me if you agree with this. Okay. He has his way of sequencing his films to make up the fact that he's made eight films already. Reservoir Dogs, number one. First film he did. Okay. Pulp Fiction 2, Jackie Bound 3. We're fine there because that makes sense. That's chronological order. Right. Kill Bill is one film. So Kill Bill parts one and two are number four. Just Kill Bill. That's all he refers to it as. Then he's got Death Proof, which... Death Proof was was released as part of the Grindhouse. Granted, it's a 90-minute film on its own, so he's got his number five, you know. And then he's got Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight. Luckily, yes, Hateful Eight does arrive at number eight, so it all works out. Um, 
So anyway, that's I'm his really, thinking process. I'm willing to give him Kill Bill as one movie. That means he makes more movies. I think he makes interesting movies. Yeah. A tad violent. But <laughs> well, I mean, you and I were not fans of The Hateful Eight. True. Um, that was our big disappointment. And I'd say The Hateful Eight and Death Proof are the two films of his I'm just not a I fan of. really overshadowed. I Django, I still like, but yeah, Hateful Eight, there was just so much hype. I'm going to make yeah. it. I'm not going to make it. Then there was all the brouhaha about the 70 millimeter yeah. and just, which by the time it came, you to play up eight, a 70 millimeter film, but 90% of the film is inside one room. So it just is a little overhyped, I think for that. Yeah. And it just, yeah. Well, I will say I, I like all of his films, um, except for death proof and except for the hateful eight. So <laughs> six out of the eight, but he it does have the honor of saying that I think Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards are two of my favorite films. Right. So that alone, I'm invested. Django Unchained, I liked as well. Um, so, is- you know, I'm on board with what he does next. I'm not going to not just because I didn't like The Hateful Eight. But uh, I, I'm, just, I'm curious to see if he does fit everything into a 10 film. Um, my, my, you know, I will say, I remember thinking, I think I've mentioned this before, but Inglorious Bastards is probably my favorite film of his. Yeah. And I really feel like, I mean, granted, I guess I would say this anyway, because I think it's my favorite film of his, but I think it's his best made. Yes, I agree. And the last shot of that and like what <laughs> he acknowledges said, it. I was like, yeah, he's like, this is my, you're making your master. This is my masterpiece. And I think it is. And I'm like, you know, you're saying that, but I really think you are. And like, if that had been his last film, I'd have been like, you know oh. what? He kind of went out on top. If he could have it's, figured out how to make that his number 10 film and right. leave on that, I'm like, oh, yeah. that's drop that's the mic. The, you're out. Yeah, exactly. Because it, you know, it, yeah, it has the hallmarks of his violence, but it has the hallmarks oh. of his characters, the dialogue it introduced us to Christoph Waltz. I mean, you know, it just, well, that movie to me has three of probably the most interesting and intense dialogue driven scene conversations I can think of. Right. You've got the scene at the very beginning, Christoph Waltz interrogating the family. He goes to visit the father. Right. That scene. I mean, it was unheard of at the time the movie starts with like a 15 minute dialogue <laughs> before we even get into the main body of the movie, but it pulls it off. Right. And then you've got the, um, the scene in the bar right. where all the soldiers are hanging out and the card games that's being played. Oh, just great scenes. So, I agree with you. Inglorious Bastards, one of my favorite films. It's absolutely my favorite Tarantino film. And then I, I love Kill Bill. I thought uh, before Kill Bill, I liked Tarantino, but I wasn't a devotee. I wasn't okay. even Pulp Fiction. I saw it and I'm like, that was really good. It was interesting. I like his style, but I wasn't like just clamoring for the next, the next movie. When Kill Bill came out though, first volume, I'm like, okay, yeah, now I'm sold. I get it. Huh. I'm on board. I think he actually had money to use in the production sure. and actually make a bigger movie that he really kind of matched his vision. And I was all totally on board with it. So yeah, I'm happy to see what he does next, but uh, he is going to have to crawl back up a little bit from hatefully as far as I'm concerned. That <laughs> so one he is still, was tough. He is still sticking to, he's only making 10 films. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, the plan. Okay. So he's got two more Okay, and that's it. Now I don't know if he writes, other films, okay. if he really counts that in the mix, Seems I wouldn't like think he does. He said he was going to just do TV. Are you thinking about He has TV? said that. Uh, maybe go on the Soderbergh route because, you know, Steven Soderbergh for a while was doing just pay cable TV stuff, you know. Um, so there's that. He could, I mean, he wrote From Dust Till Dawn. He wrote True Romance, you know, before he got into directing himself. Right. He could always do that if he's adamant about saying, I'm only going to direct 10 films. He could still do other things, just 
Yeah, I think there's something in his head where he just visualizes 10, probably laser disc, you know, versions <laughs> of his films or 16, 35 millimeter film canisters, 10 in a row on a shelf. And that's just what he wants. So, hmm. you know, anyway. Okay, All right. You got another m- news item to wrap us up? You know, Alan, I am wondering how you're planning to celebrate July 18th, 2016. Hold on. July 18th. That's uh. That's next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's going on that day? Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Alan, it is the thirtieth anniversary of Top Gun. Oh. How are you going to celebrate? Maverick Man, and Goose, Iceman. I mean, I know you're kind of joking, but I do freaking love that movie. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> not a not a big fan of Top Gun. Oh, I will admit, it does not hold up as well. Oh man! But it is hilarious. To watch, well, now, like the over-the-top macho, but I still love it. Room drama, I oh, still man. love it, and I will say, I still think it's got the flying sequences really, really well done. Hmm. Um, I even to this day, I, I can still watch it and get a thrill out of the flying sequences. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Thirty years. You know what's really interesting to me is that they, uh, God, there were all these rumors for so long about a sequel. Really? Oh yeah, and even like recently, just in the last year, I've even heard Tom Cruise had had dialogue with. Tony Scott, who was the director, unfortunately died several years ago. But at one point, they were totally on board with making one that was going to be like 20 years later. And Tom Cruise was going to be an instructor at the Top Gun School. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, come on. And then there's going to be like a young whippersnapper that he has to like put in his place or something. Absolutely. Wow. It would have been good. I like Top (laughs) Gun. It would have been good. I want to say my, my friend Brad and I probably saw that film. Probably six or seven times in the movie theater together. See, and that's the thing is, I hadn't seen it. It finally came to a dollar theater in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm like, okay, let me go see this Top Gun. And I was just like, really? <laughs> that's it? Yeah, I could totally see you coming out of the theater just going like, really? Really? That's right. it? Yeah. So, yeah. I, so, you know. I bought into the hype. I loved all it. you big fans out there, be sure you celebrate. I love it. July 18th. Love it. Can't wait. <laughs> We will. I'll have to queue that one up at home on uh, the 18th just to celebrate. Awesome. Going to be playing Great Balls of Fire on the piano. Nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing. All the references people would do, like you know, getting down on one knee and singing. You love. Oh, you like the loving feeling. feeling. At the bar. Like I had to go through my college years with people like doing that as a joke, and I'm like, no, let the madness. She's stop. lost it, Chris. And it's gone. She's lost it. Gone, gone. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Now I've already I put that on my Google calendar. Remind me, <laughs> Top Gun. 30th I'm looking forward to celebrating. Okay, Chris. So while we move into our recommendations for the episode, this is where you and I both pick a film that we either got just recently caught up with, or maybe one that we want to bring back to the to the to the public opinion here and get people to check out again, or just something that maybe people have forgotten or slipped by them. And uh, if it's okay, I'll go first. Sure. Mine is, uh, we do this from time to time where you recommended something. It intrigues me enough to want to go check it out and see it. And then the question becomes, do I in turn also echo that same recommendation (laughs) or not? Okay. So I'm leaving it open for a minute. All right. Uh, Not telling you if I'm necessarily recommending it, but I'm going to say that I'm just doing a follow-up to your recommendation. Okay. You recommended the film Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which came out just in 2015. Yes. A comedy slash drama, um, a high schooler 
who he and his buddy spend a lot of time parroting classic films. Isn't kind of a little bit of a loner other than this friend has a hard time kind of having connecting with people directly. Right. Uh, the girl in his school is diagnosed with cancer and uh, probably does not have very much time. And they, he's forced to hang out with her by his mom and they actually develop a, a interesting friendship and relationship and it leads to some, some interesting character developments. I, I will say I, I, I did like this film. I thought okay. it was really good. I thought it was enjoyable. I went into it very trepidatious and honestly, the more I heard you talk about it, I kept thinking, really? You know, cause hmm. this is about the time all the young adult films were coming out and you had the whole, what was the one? Wait um, a second. I know there's another one you like too. Don't knock, don't knock. Fault in Our Stars. I know, and you said Fault in Our Stars is good. I haven't seen it yet. No, Uh, but all those films were starting to brew up a little bit. I'm like, okay, well, this just kind of sounds like the same thing. I was very trepidatious about Fault in Our Stars, and I thought it was actually really well done. Yeah. Well, this film, um, I did like it. I thought it was really good. Um, I I will say, I thought it tried a little too hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. I thought the quirk factor was a bit overdone at times just to say, Hey, look how different we are and look how unique we're going to make this film. Hmm. It was almost a little much at times, but I will say, you know, I know this is more of the, I guess the book it's based on. Is it based on a book or do we know? I think it is. Yeah, It is a novel. Jesse Andrews wrote a novel. Uh, I, I, I like the story in general, you know, I just, and I think not to spoil anything, um, the use of the narration the self-guided narration by the lead act, the lead character, Greg, and mm-hmm. leading you to believe the story is going one way, but then changing gears on where it's actually going to go and why he, why he intentionally gave you that misdirection is narration. I thought was really clever. I don't know if that was the novel. I don't know if that was the screenplay, but I actually found myself kind of, you know, towards the end of the film being like, Whoa, that was actually kind of gutsy what they did and actually mm-hmm. kind of impressive that they, kind of fooled me. I mean, I don't want to say fooling, but sure. Got me believing one way. And that was the whole purpose of what he was saying. He wanted you to believe this, right? even though this was going to happen. Right. And I thought it was well done. I, I like the lead actor. Um, I don't know anything about him other than Thomas Mann played Greg. I thought he was really good. Um, my, my only misgivings I'll say is his best friend. The uh, just happened to be the African American character. I thought was way too stereotypical mm-hmm. and actually a very negative stereotype oh, okay. that just didn't kind of rub me the wrong way. He was kind of there for a more comedic relief and he had a very, a very stereotypical portrayal, which I didn't think was fair. Okay. So I didn't care for that. And again, that may have been the novel and that may have been exactly how the character was written in the novel, but his character didn't work for me. I, 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 I wanted him to rise above those stereotypes and he had some moments at the end where he did, mm-hmm. but for the most of the film he didn't. And it just, kind of graded on me a bit. Okay. Um, but otherwise I thought it was a really good film. So I, I want to say thank you, Chris, for kind of recommending it. I am here to say, yes, I recommend it as well. I think okay. it was a good movie and uh, surprising. Um, and it, it had some nice touches to it. Some nice, interesting visual touches that I, I wouldn't have expected a, a, in a film like this. So, okay. yeah. All right. So what about your recommendation? What have you got for us? So this is a very random movie that I stumbled across that I really enjoyed. Okay. Not for everyone out there. Alan, do you remember movies that came around in the eighties, the cheap science fiction time, things like solar babies or oh, yeah. ice pirates? Absolutely. Okay. Night of the comet. Night of the comet. Oh okay. yeah. So if you like those and you probably think they don't hold up, which they probably don't, <laughs> 
There was a movie that came out in 2015 called Turbo Kid. I have heard of this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me give you the brief summary. Thank you, IMDb. In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a comic book fan dons the persona of his favorite hero to save his enthusiastic friend and fight a tyrannical overlord. All done like, you know, in this post-apocalyptic wasteland thing. It's ridiculous. Never takes itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. Michael Ironside plays the villain, and he has a patch over one eye. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Um, They're just... It I've actually fun. heard Michael Ironside will sign on for any independent film if you like give him a few hundred bucks and like a case of beer or something. Beer. So like, yeah, yep, I'm, yep, there. I'm there. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's fun. It's the type of movie that I totally could imagine staying up late on a Friday night, like on a sleepover or something, and watching this movie and yeah. thinking it was fun. Like yeah, like this movie, I Turbo Kid, Turbo Kid, yeah, huh. like being released in 3D just because of the schlock factor, right? But. I had a lot of fun. Really? Maybe I don't think it takes itself too seriously. It's on iTunes. It's on Netflix. Turbo Kid. Not for everyone, but if that kind of action-adventure comedy, schlocky stuff doesn't, doesn't take itself too seriously. Well, I'm looking Turbo at the Kid. screenshots or like stills from the, the film right now, and yeah, I can, I can totally see what you're talking about. Right. So. Uh, the poster is amazing for Turbo Kid as well. Um, <laughs> so Yes, I'm looking at it right now. That is a good poster. Um, definitely. Uh, it's... I think it says it's unrated, but it would definitely fall in the R category. Oh, really? So, yeah, not. Yeah, I think. Or so it's not even like a kid-friendly movie. Oh, no. Wow. No, no. no. Um, yeah, so definitely, I don't don't think it's uh, kid-friendly. I think it would basically be be R. Oh, wow, interesting. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it's fun. All right, so Turbo Kid, Turbo good. Kid. I, I, I've heard of it, but I honestly had never met anybody who'd seen it. So now you're the first. Uh, and it's one of your recommendations. That's yes. awesome. Not for and, everyone, but for me. And then I'm recommending Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which, uh, again, I was pleasantly surprised about. I thought it was a good movie. Um, all right. And, and I'll just, before I close up here, Chris, I got to ask you. Yes. Uh, did, did you ever get around to watching season one of Mr. Robot? No. Chris. I have not. And season two is on right now. Season right? two just started last night. So ah. that is just now that you're now that we're done with the screening process of our film festival, which I'm gonna tease here in a moment. That's right. Chris, along with his screening committee, went through probably about two hundred and fifty films that were yes. submitted for consideration to our festival. Chris, now that you're not having to watch any more of those, you have no excuse. Gotta check out Mr. Robot. Okay. Absolutely. I've, I honestly think even though it's not movies, uh, we, we ought to have a little after credit sequence to talk about Mr. Robot whenever you get around to watching most of the season. It's not on Netflix, though. I have to actually watch it on Netflix I don't know TV. where you would get it from. TV, but it's on like- I know if you go to USA is the network it's on, and USA's website – will allow you to stream, I believe, some of the newer episodes that come out. But what happens with the first season? you got to watch the first season. Yeah, you cannot jump into season two. How do I watch the first season? I don't season? know. Oh, man. I'll find out. I'll let you travel. know. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That's what you do. Okay. I'll let you know if I can find a way to, to make sure you can watch season one, but you need to watch this show. Okay. I've got a very strong feeling that you will connect well with it. Okay. So, yep. Cool. So that's just my little plug for everybody. If you're not watching Mr. Robot, you need to watch Mr. Robot. Um, okay, so that's our show. Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 23rd through the 25th in Hickory, North Carolina. We've got around 30 films to show over the course of the weekend, more or less in that neighborhood. Yep. Um, and we're going to be selling tickets online here in the coming weeks, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. 
probably to the general public, they'll go on sale early August, right? early mid-August, and uh, they're going on sale for Foot Candle members here very, very soon. And uh, we invite you to come on and make the trip to Western North Carolina. We'd love to have you here at the film festival. We're very excited about it. It's going to be a great weekend. It's our second film festival. Uh, the first one was a big success. We had a great time, and uh, a lot of people came out to see some great movies. So we're looking forward to having another good repeat year this year. Chris, people want to get a hold of us. They want to talk to us. They want to tell us things. Where do they go? What should they, they do? They can send an in an email to info at the mesh.tv. Let us know what you liked about the show, what you didn't like, a movie you want us to review, something we got wrong. Um, or you can also follow us on Letterboxd, and that's without an E at the end. Um, Alan and I both have accounts on there. We put little short reviews up on films every once in a while. We have, or at least I do, have a listing of uh, the recommendations that I've made on this show. I'm not very current on mine. Check out. And then, you know, as Alan referenced, we're in uh, the shows in iTunes. You can rate us there. That helps us get more listeners. Or also, all of our episodes are available on the mesh.tv. Foot Candle Films, you'll find all of our shows there. Just if you wanted to go back through our back catalog. Yes. For some reason. But I'm, you know. And for our next episode, are we going to bust some ghosts? I'm up for that. Sure. I am too. I feel like after we had our news item about the Ghostbusters movie. We'd be hypocrites if we stayed away from it just right. because of the online negative buzz about it. Uh, Ghostbusters is out this weekend, and I do think I'll be going out to check it out. Okay. So that'll be happening here very, very soon, and I think that's something we all talk about in the next episode. Okay. Let's try for that. Let's do it. Okay. Ghostbusters. Uh, great. Well, that is our show today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, check out Midnight Special. Check out Green Room. And check out me, Earl, the Dying Girl, and Turbo Kid. So a lot of recommendations of movies that should fill up your weekend if you're looking for something to do. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.